We're in First uh, Samuel chapter 21, 22, and 23 this morning. And uh, if you were to go there and then go to the Psalms, you would find that a lot of the Psalms relate to these chapters right here that we're talking about this morning. Uh, Psalm 18, Psalm 34, Psalm 52, 54, 56, 57, 63, and then 142 are all Psalms that David wrote while he was hiding out in caves, hiding from Saul um, at, in these times. Um, and so as along with many of the other Psalms that are written, David wrote these Psalms during a time of real struggle and trouble in his life. Uh, they're not written during times of celebration, um, but when he's hiding from Saul and trying to keep his life. Um, the scriptures actually have a lot more chapters about David in times of trouble than they do about times when David was having victories. You have the chapter about David and Goliath. You have a chapter here about this and a chapter there about that, but all in between are all these chapters where David, the man after God's own heart, struggles. One of the lies that the devil will want to tell you is that if you are a Christian, you ought to live on a mountaintop. And you ought to just go from one exciting celebratory experience to the next one and not have any valleys in between. And they certainly should not last very long at all. That is not the way God deals with the people that he's making Christian heroes out of. God will often take even the man after God's own heart through long seasons, years, perhaps longer than a decade, where he was running from King Saul, fleeing and hiding out in caves. This is the man who's going to be the king of Israel, and he spends a decade hiding out in caves. And that is exactly where God wanted him to be. But you and I, if we listen to Satan, we think, oh no, our life should never struggle. We should never be in the wilderness. We should never face troubles and tribulations and trials. Because we are Christians. We are God's people. You just can't back it up with scripture, friends. And you need to rub Satan's nose in the scriptures when he tells you that lie. Because it is in the wilderness. It is when you're hiding out in the cave. It is in the trials of your life that you will find that God is making you what he wants to make of you. God has more freedom to work in your life when you're struggling than when you are having one success after another. Just think back over the life you've lived. When does God do his greatest work in you? It is not when you're beating up on Goliath. It is when you're in the cave 
and you're running and you're, you're, you're out there and you're just struggling. <clears throat> it is in the wilderness that we learn that God can provide for us. It is in the wilderness that God grows us up. It is in the wilderness that God raises up new people around us and new leaders around us and teaches us leadership. It is in the wilderness that God teaches us to trust Him. It is in the wilderness that God guides us. And it is in the wilderness that we learn to praise God for who He is, not just what He does for us. So, now if you look at this map... Um, that whole map, you could lay McKenzie County over. <laughs> and basically, it's about the same size. So when we think of Israel, you know, we think of America. And Israel is a pretty small country. And, and Israel goes north of there and south of there. But um, this, this is the area where we're going to talk about in these chapters. David was at Keilah and Adullam, at Gath, at Nob. And so right in there is, is where David is in these, in these days, all within about 12 miles of each other probably. Um, so Jonathan, carrying on from last week, Jonathan has learned finally that his dad, King Saul, really does want to kill David. And so he decides, he goes, he decides, you know, he makes this pact with David. He says, you better run and flee from my dad. He said, I'm going to go back to Jerusalem and be with, with Saul, but you run away. And so David goes to Nob. And Nob is the city of priests. Um, it's just outside of Jerusalem. We don't exactly know today exactly where that was, but it was outside of Jerusalem. And um, by the way, um, on that map, Jebus is the old name for Jerusalem before David became king. Um, so Jonathan um, goes back. David goes up to the city of Nob, at where all the city of the, the it's the city of priests, and Abimelech is the priest, and he's greatly concerned because David shows up and there's nobody with him, and and Ahimelech says, "Man, what is what's wrong here? You don't have your army with you. Um, there should be people protecting you." And David says, oh, don't worry about it. They're out there. Um, and, and he actually lies to the priest and he tells them um, that um, he tells them that Saul has sent him on a secret mission. And so anyway, then, then we go on a little bit further down in First uh, Samuel chapter 21. And David goes and he says to Ahimelech, I would like some bread. Well, now... He's the Ahimelech is the priest, and he all he had was consecrated bread. And they would take bread and they would use it in the tabernacle for a week at a time, and then on the Sabbath day they would take it off, and then that bread could be used by the priests and their families, but it was only to be eaten within uh, the tabernacle um, from the table of the presence. Yet Ahimelech looked at this situation and he decided that if David was the one that was asking for this bread for his men, it must be a need that was great enough and he would allow him to take that bread and use it as long as the men had been kept from women. So David tells him, yes, the men have been kept from women and he gets the bread and Jesus comments on this. Remember in, in Matthew chapter 12, 
his disciples were walking through some grain fields one day. And as they did that, they were just plucking a few heads of grain because they'd gotten hungry. And, and that was common throughout the day. When you walk through a field, if you got hungry, you could just pluck enough not to take with you or to fill your pockets or anything, but just enough to pluck in your mouth and keep you from being hungry. And so that was okay by the culture of the day, and it was okay by the law of Moses. But Jesus' disciples were doing that on the Sabbath day, and just shelling out that grain in their hand was considered work, according to the Pharisees. It wasn't work according to the law of Moses. But the way the Pharisees had interpreted the law of Moses in the Old Testament, they had put all these other regulations on, and so it was not okay with them. And so they criticized the they criticized Jesus and they criticized his disciples because they had been working on the Sabbath, shelling grain as they walked through the field. And Jesus comes along and he reminds them of this passage and he says, don't you remember David when he took bread that was consecrated only to be eaten by priests and only to be eaten uh, in, the, in the tabernacle and he gave it to David for his men? So anyway, Jesus uh, clears David there and then, oddly, in verse 7, we are introduced to Doeg. Doeg the Edomite, who was the chief shepherd and servant of Saul. And the text just throws it in there and then goes on with the story. But we have this one verse where Doeg the Edomite was present. And it, it just sits there like a storm cloud on top of a wheat field during harvest. It just gnaws at you, you know, it's kind of foreboding of bad news. And it should have been a warning to David that he was endangering the life of these priests at the city of Nob. But David just went on about his business, even though Doeg was there. David then requested um, a spear and a sword uh, from Ahimelech, but Ahimelech said, well, I don't have any spears, but I only have one sword, and that's the sword that you use to, to kill Goliath. And so he gave that to David. David goes on from there, and then he does something that's just not smart at all. He leaves the land of Israel, where Saul is pursuing him, and he goes into Gath, the land of the Philistines. And he doesn't inquire the Lord, he doesn't pray, he doesn't seek counsel, he just goes. And so fleeing Saul, he runs right into kind of like a buzzsaw. <laughs> he runs into greater danger uh, than Saul was to him. Um, and right away they recognized him as the hero of Israel. And they said, "It's this is our great opportunity to get rid of David, and we won't have so much trouble with Israel. Well, there was part of the culture of the day was that if you were, if you had gone mad, people kind of left you alone. And the reason they left you alone is because they didn't believe that it was just simply a matter of you going crazy or mad. They believed that you had been filled with a spirit um, and, and possessed of a spirit. And so they didn't want to t mess with that because in killing you, this spirit might get loose and, and do some real damage to you. And so David feigns being mad and crazy. And so they just leave him alone. They don't want anything to do with him. They don't want to kill him. They, they just want to get away from him. And so that kind of works. 
Um, you remember in the story of Daniel how Nebuchadnezzar went crazy for seven years and they just left him alone. And then at the end of the seven years, he was restored. Well, he was left alone because people were scared of whatever spirit had possessed him might get into them. So it works. And God is, during that process, is teaching David to trust him instead of coming up with his own solutions. Don't leave Israel and run into greater danger. God was teaching him that process. Then David flees, um, in fleeing Saul, one of the things that happened when Jonathan went back to Jerusalem was that David had this great covenant friend and brother in Jonathan. And all of a sudden, Jonathan is gone. And David feels all alone out there. But when God takes something away from you, often he gives you something else that's better. David is at Adullam. And God brings back to him his real brothers and his father and his mother. Now you remember the story of Goliath and you remember some other things and you remember that David's oldest brother was Eliab and Eliab was kind of conceited and he liked to press down and make David feel insignificant and all of that. And David didn't have a real good relationship with his family. And they just kind of made fun of him. They didn't think he belonged um, out there. He was just a lowly shepherd and he ought to just stay at home taking care of his father's sheep. Well, all of a sudden, in this, in this place, and they've been serving under Saul. So this is a big thing that happens here when uh, David's older brothers decide to become traitors to Saul, leave Saul, and they come to David, who is in hiding as a fugitive, and they join ranks with him. And Eliab, the oldest brother, submits himself to David and joins in. And so you've got all of that happening. And then the other thing is David started collecting other people around with him. And there was a band of about 400 people, um, and, and Psalm uh, 54 and 142 talk about David's uh, time in this, this cave. And, and the people he gathers around him are malcontents, <laughs> um, is, is how they're um, described. They're people who are in distress. They've got all kinds of problems. They are bitter in soul. They're resentful. They're bitter. They're hostile. And the other thing is they're in severe debt. Now, the law of Moses had forbid that Jewish men should um, exact excessive usury or charge excessive interest to other Jews. But quite often, as you go through the Old Testament, they would get lax on that. And one of the things King Saul did is he allowed Jewish um, people to start charging other Jewish people crazy credit card rates. And some of you have lived there where there was no way to conquer because you got into debt that you should have never got into. And the interest rate just kept climbing up and climbing up till it just beat you up. Well, God forbid that. God didn't want that, but Saul had allowed that. And so some of these, these 
malcontents were just people that had gotten so far buried in financially that there was no way out. So this is a time when, when David collects some new people around him and they're all discontents and malcontents. And now just stop and think about that. If you want to learn leadership and God wants to teach you leadership and he puts, gives you 400 followers who are all unhappy, <laughs> is there a better way to learn leadership? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> if you can lead a group of, of discontents, you can probably lead Israel. Just stop and think about Israel in the wilderness and Moses and all he had to go through in leading them. So God gives David in this wilderness experience, this experience of having 400 unhappy people to lead. And he learns leadership with those 400 people and helps them get their lives turned around and pointed in a good direction. Now David leaves his parents and he does something here that doesn't make a lot of sense to us. But he leaves his parents in the care of the king of Moab. Now we stop and think, why would you do that? But I want you, I want you to stop and think about something here. Moab had become the enemy of Saul. Because Saul was inflicting losses on Moab. But because they knew David was fleeing from Saul, David was their friend all of a sudden. Moreover, if you go back to the book of Ruth, David had what kind of blood in him? He had Moabite blood in him from his grandmother. Um, and so David had been fighting the Philistines and David had never been fighting against the Moabites. So the Moabites were more than happy to help David and to take care of his aging parents while he figured out what God was going to do with him next. And then the prophet Gad comes down and he finds David in this cave and he tells David, I want you to leave the safety of this stronghold and I want you to go back to Judea where Saul is looking to find you. <laughs> Again, God is wanting to teach David some genuine trust. And the question is, can God take better care and protection of David in Judea where his life is at risk than the cave can provide? All the things you currently have in life that you put your trust in, do you trust in them more than if God told you to go somewhere else or do something different? Could you trust God to leave this behind to go there? God wants every one of us to be able to develop that kind of trust. And so the prophet Gad comes down and says, David, you've been in this cave long enough. The security and the safety of this cave, I want to take you over here where you know it's more dangerous. And God does that. God takes him over there. David goes. Saul instantly finds out that David has returned to the land of Israel. And he calls his officials to him. And he asks, you know, if, if David was king, what could he give you to conspire against me? And basically, he's just simply reminding them that David doesn't have anything to offer them. 
He's not king. He doesn't own any land. He's a fugitive. And he's reminding them um, that, you know, he's going to buy their loyalty. Saul is, of his officials. Even though he kind of feels that they've already betrayed him because they had not warned him that his son Jonathan had made this covenant with, with David. And so he's angry, he's bitter, he's jealous, and all of that. And the funny thing here is, the two people in all of Israel who would have been absolutely loyal to King Saul were Jonathan and David. The two people that would have been the most loyal are the two people that Saul is absolutely opposed to. In his jealousy, he saw them as traitors. And I just want to warn you that jealousy and bitterness can make us completely blind to reality. And that's what happened to Saul. And then all of a sudden, remember Doeg the Edomite? He shows up and he says, Oh, king, King Saul, I remember something. I was over in the city of Nob and I was up there with Ahimelech and David was there. And Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him and told him what he should do and gave him the sword of Goliath and gave him bread. (laughs) And Saul instantly wanted Ahimelech. But he didn't just call Ahimelech. He called, and all the priests, that's where they lived, all the priests that served in Jerusalem, they lived in the city of Nod. He called for Ahimelech and the whole family of priests and had them all come down. And he accused Ahimelech of being a traitor to King Saul because he had simply inquired of the Lord for David. And Ahimelech answered the king and said, Who would be more loyal to you than David? He he simply would not do anything to hurt you. And, And so Ahimelech said, Man, David's been as loyal to you as anyone. And he said, Moreover, Ahimelech has inquired of the Lord. I've I've inquired of the Lord for David many times in the past. Unlike you, King Saul, you don't ask me what the Lord's will is. (laughs) He says, I've consistently inquired of the Lord for David, so I didn't do anything unusual. And Saul instantly orders that Ahimelech and all the priests be killed. But Saul's guards refused to do the job. So who volunteers? Doeg the Edomite. And he turns and he kills 85 of 86 priests that had come down from the city of of Nob. One got away. One. It's interesting how God always preserves a remnant. And he preserved a remnant right there with that one. That wasn't good enough. Doeg went on to the city of Nob and killed every man, woman, child, and animal in that city. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 12, tells us that if, if a Jewish city had been led astray so that it served other gods, the whole city was to be destroyed. And so what's happened here is Saul has begun to think of himself as God. And he's exacting this punishment on a city because they have served David instead of himself. Now, the one priest that escaped 
was Ahimelech's own son, Abathar. And he goes and he tells David what has happened. And David takes responsibility and says, Oh, I should have never been there. I should have never done anything with Ahimelech. He said, It's because I was there that your whole family has been, has been put in danger and been killed. And so David says to Abathar, he said, You come live with me and my men. We'll take care of you and we'll protect you. And then David goes on to down to the city of Keilah. And Keilah was borderline between Israel and the Philistines. And it was being attacked by the Philistines. And, and David once again prayed and inquired of the Lord, Should I go and defend it? And God's word is simply, yes, go. David is really learning through this wilderness process to really trust the Lord and get God's directions. Now, one of the things you'll notice when David prays, he inquires of the Lord and he asks a simple question to get a simple answer. When we pray and want God's will, we ask complex questions that require a complex answer that make it difficult for us to discern God's will. Because when we want to know God's will, we want to know all the details. So God, should I go down there and should I take my Ford or my Chevy? And which road should I take? And what time should I leave? And by the time God gets done answering all of that, we haven't heard any of it. David simply asked, every time he inquired of the Lord, you watch David, every time he inquires of the Lord, he asks a simple question that requires a simple answer. Should I go? And then it's left to him to figure out when and how and where and all the other details. But he asks one question, simple question, to get a simple answer. So he does that. And David's men say, man, David, are you sure God told you that? We don't really want to go there. We don't even feel safe here in Judah because of Saul. And now you're going to take us somewhere where the Philistines are also going to be our enemy. And so David inquires of the Lord again and says, should I go? And the Lord says, yes, I will give them into your hands. And... So he goes, and the men go with him, and they inflict heavy losses on the Philistines, and they save the people of Keilah. Now, the interesting thing is, as you, if you follow the rest of chapter 23, the very people that David saved, the people of Keilah, they would have turned, if Saul had come, they would have turned and given David away. So David, he prays, God, should I leave here? Will these people, will these people turn on me? And God said yes. So David fled and he went again back into hiding. Yet God allowed this man, who was going to be the king of Israel, the man after God's own heart, to go through a decade of wilderness. And you and I want to throw in the towel after a couple weeks of trials. 
don't. That's my word for today. (laughs) Hang in there. It is in the wilderness. In the long periods of the wilderness that God wants to do a great work in your life. It is in the wilderness that we learn that God provides It is in the wilderness that God grows us up and matures us. It is in the wilderness that God gives us new people, new family, new leaders around us, and he teaches us leadership. It is in the wilderness that God teaches us to trust him. It is in the wilderness that God guides us, and it is in the wilderness that we learn to praise God for who he is and not just what he does. I want to ask you this morning, Are you in the wilderness without David's God? Because that's a place you don't want to be. If you're going to be in the wilderness, you want to know that God is with you and that God is for you. And David learned that conviction. Do you need Jesus? Jesus is the God of the wilderness. (laughs) Jesus is the God of the wilderness experience that will take you and make you and shape you into the person that God has a beautiful plan for. Just as God used this long wilderness experience in David's life to make a great king. In the wilderness, Jesus wants to be there for you. Awesome.